I'm in a new office chair. Yep. Uh, it's not mine. I'm recording in that shared office that I have. So you stole somebody's chair? Yeah, I did. I did for this recording only. <laughs> okay. It's one of those chairs that it's like really well designed and like very ergonomically pleasant and all of that. But I'm just trying to adjust the height and I can't do it. There's too many buttons down here. Got, <laughs> I see a lever, a pulley. And the pulley's connected to something else. And then I just put my hand on the left-hand side. Uh-huh. There's five different buttons over here. I don't know what to do. I think I'm stuck at this height for the recording session, which is okay, <laughs> I guess. Am I supposed to twist this thing? You know, I feel like there's always a thing on every office chair that I just have no idea what to do with. Is that is that just me? I usually can find the adjusting height one, and then there's something else. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that something else does. I'm just going to leave it there. I think this is a Drew problem. Okay, I guess it's me. No, I, I, I just tend to be mechanically minded. So this is a thing that I'm usually pretty good at figuring out how things work and operate. So this is not a problem I typically have. I am now, <laughs> I got it, I got it adjusted, but now I'm really high up. <laughs> the chair is pitched forward a little bit. So I should have left it where it was. Oh, there we go. Okay, I'm good. Do you care about your office chair? Do you have a special kind of chair or what are you working with at your home office? At home, I'm pretty particular. Mm -hmm. Everywhere else, I really don't care just because I'm not going to sit for very long when I'm anywhere else. Uh, I have, I think I have a decent chair at the church. I, I spend maybe 10 minutes in it a week. So it's not real particular right. that I have a good chair there. Yeah. Uh, but at home, I spend quite a bit of time in it, and I have a Herman Miller Aeron. You do? I do. Hmm. I'm a big fan of it. So yes, I have a nice chair at home. What did you have before that? Just some standard office chair? This is, uh, basically, this is the only chair I've ever had in my home office. Interesting. Because when I first started working from home, uh, it was for another company, and they outfitted a fair amount of my home office at the time. Oh, that's really nice. That's really nice. Yeah, and whenever I left, they asked for a handful of those pieces back, but the chair was kind of clunky and too difficult to transport back where they were going, and so they just told me to keep it. Wow, that lucky you. I didn't argue at yeah. all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no problems there. It is one of these weird things where I feel like you either end up getting like a clunker office chair from Office Depot or like a nice looking one from West Elm or Ikea or something or a Herman Miller. Like I feel like there's not really a lot of in between. It's either you spend a ton of money to get like the best experience, right? spend a little money to get something nicely designed or just go and buy the... I don't even. I don't even know what a base price for a chair is. I feel like what a hundred bucks or something. Fifties. I've seen some for like sixty bucks. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And I. It is one of those things where I guess it's that's that's not the greatest place to pinch your pennies since you're sitting in it for so long. And it's a pretty important part of the office setup that I feel like at least I typically tend to overlook. I sometimes. So we've talked about home offices a number of times, and in my home office there, I have the sectional. It's kind of our family room. But it's it's pretty sweet for an office. But the the trouble with having your office in a space like that is that it's very easy to put your feet up, you know, kick back in the couch and, you know, crank through emails or something. And every once in a while I get into a habit of doing that for a number of hours in a day for mm. multiple days in a row and I pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> so don't recommend that. But every once in a while I find myself doing that. And you're not like a standing desk person, are you? I'm not. I've 
played around with that idea a couple times. I've tried to look at the science of it, actually, and have never come to any solid conclusions on the benefits of it. Now, I will say that part of the reason I don't pursue that is that I'm a very active person when I'm not in the office. So I, Mm. you know, even though I work on computers, it is pretty easy for me to hit that 10 to 12,000 steps in a day mark, even though I don't do any major walking for my job. So I'm a pretty active person, so I don't think it would have near the the bump in health benefits that a number of people tend to, to, to tout and talk about. I like it just because I feel more in tune with the work that I'm doing when I'm like standing. Mm-hmm. When I had a office in Florida, one of the things that I had custom built was I built a big workbench that myself and my coworkers could work at. And it was, I never, I never know the difference between counter and bar height, but it was at uh, a height for bar stools, not a height for office chairs. Okay. Because everyone had an office chair, everyone had a place to work like that. But I felt like it was cool to have a different kind of workspace that was made for a different kind of seat and also would work really well if you wanted to stand at it. Because if you want to stand at a normal desk, you're going to be hunched over. But if you want to stand at a bar height desk, that's a much better proposition. You're just kind of looking down a little bit as opposed to a lot bit. Right. And so that was really, really cool. And I I find myself still, you know, when I go to a coffee shop in my morning routine, I always like bar height seating areas. So I don't really sit at a normal table. I sit at wherever they have those big, nice bar chairs. And usually every coffee shop that I go to has those. And if I'm working on something for a long time, I'll usually end up ditching the chair entirely and just standing and working at it. And it's not necessarily for my health or for my posture, because like I said, still, I'm looking directly down now at a thing. So I I find that kind of a hard part of the whole standing desk phenomenon. You only really can counteract that if you have some weird setup that lets the computer screen be at eye height and most people that I see working at standing desks don't have that setup because it's a bit more challenging to do. I don't know there's something about standing that makes me feel more like engaged with what I'm doing whereas sitting is just a more relaxed posture as a whole and I think it it makes me feel a little more distracted. But I too have not ever tried to fully invest in some crazy standing desk outfit. I built the desk that I'm sitting at right now. So I I designed it to be at the height that I wanted, which right. I think a standard desk is, if I recall correctly, 29 inches to the top of it. And just for reference, because I tend to know this, your normal counter height in the kitchen is 36, and a standard bar height is, depending on where you're at, it's between 40 and 42, somewhere in there. So that'll that'll kind of give you a, a rough, but you know, standard desk height I think is 29. Mine, I believe, is 27 and a half. Just because I was able to build it to fit me. So mine is sitting at the height that works best given my build and my height. So that's cool. It works, works for me. But yeah, the whole get the screen to the eye level bit, I think that's honestly, that's the more important piece as far as how you get your screen set up. But at the same time, you have to keep in mind that the desk height needs to fit, like from where you're sitting in a chair. Like there's the whole ergonomics of getting your arms to be, what is it, parallel with the ground, I think, yeah. when they're working at the desk or something along those lines. And that was what I was using whenever I put this desk height together was those standards. So 
I kind of cheated and didn't follow <laughs> a standard, which makes everything else kind of a challenge. You have to kind of custom build everything around it when you do that. But eh, it's it's a price worth paying, I think. It's it's a bit harder, too, to do the screen at eye height thing when you're working with an iPad because it means that you have to yeah. awkwardly reach out and touch that eye level screen all the time. So it's not not quite right. I'm curious to know how that kind of stuff will go forward because I feel like touchscreens are such a important part of the future of all of our devices and they're just going to get more and more normal as that becomes more and more common and iOS gets more and more built out. And I, I wonder about that, like, you know, we already have the iPad Pro, but sooner or later there is going to be the absolute iPad or iOS equivalent of a MacBook that can do all the stuff that you would do on a MacBook or a MacBook that has all of the touch functionality that an iPad has. And figuring out working environments for touchscreens is something that I don't really feel like has been that considered yet. And maybe it's going to be something crazy, you know, like a big desk-sized iPad where the whole tabletop is a screen or something. And how that'll work for ergonomics and all of that is going to be totally different. But it's curious. And I feel like right now, since we're kind of in the middle of that, and I'm always trying to be iOS primary in my work life, uh, standing desk stuff doesn't doesn't quite work for me. Yeah, I wonder what the ergonomics of iPads specifically will work out to be. Because I know it took a while for him to nail that down with just your standard desktop PCs and such. Like, it took them a while to to say, oh, this is the best way you should do that. But, you know, any sort of a PC or laptop or MacBook of any sorts, like, they have the advantage of being able to separate the input devices from the viewing portion. Like, Mm -hmm. you can break those apart, but you can't do that when it's a touchscreen. So I don't know. That's interesting. It's a concept I've not really thought about. Maybe that's because I don't own an iPad like, and it just doesn't ever cross my mind. And it's something that I have thought about partially because of editing this show. Because like I said before, I use this new iPad app. Well, not new, new to me, iPad app called Ferrite that lets me edit audio and specifically podcasts really well from the iPad. And the difference between the way that I hold myself while I'm editing audio in Logic on a Mac and the way that I hold the computer while I do it on the iPad is so different. Because if I'm if I'm editing in Logic, you know, I have to have the trackpad or the mouse in my hand and I'm looking at the screen and I have to be sitting at a desk or having it on my lap on on a chair or whatever. But with the iPad, I've noticed that what I do, and it's kind of hard to describe without seeing it, but I've noticed that what I do is I hold the iPad, I kind of grip it in one hand, like a notepad or something. And then I use two fingers to swipe back and forth and I, I can just really easily manipulate it. And I even find that sometimes I'm angling the iPad at a weird angle, not for my eyes, but for my other hand so that I can quickly and easily like delete stuff and move stuff around. And it's just, it's kind of interesting that the way that you hold the device can really change your entire experience and you can also change where you are. Sometimes when I was editing a show or doing something really intensive on a computer and I needed a break, I would just walk away from the entire thing. But sometimes with the iPad, when I'm editing audio, I can literally just say, oh man, I'm feeling, this is wearing me out. I'm going to go lay on the couch, but I can take the whole thing with me and keep editing on the couch. So I don't know, it's kind of hard to describe, but it is, it is an important part of this. 
And I feel like we're we're just going to get more and more invested in working at our in our digital environments. And if the digital environment itself can come more places with us and be around more and adopt itself for different spaces, then you know it'll allow us to get more work done and be more happy while we do it. Or you could just use a MacBook. But then I wouldn't do it. <laughs> these hey, these shows have been getting out much faster. And I am much quicker at doing all this because of the iPad. Got to put my plug in. I mean, we, we've talked about that a little bit before, but I remember feeling very freed up when I realized that I could have something as powerful as Ulysses in my pocket all the time. And when I remember there being a very dramatic feeling where I thought I no longer have to sit at a computer and write out an entire article. I can just do this right now. If I, w- I remember, I think it was... I think I actually have a very specific memory of being at the mall with my wife and we had gone to a few different shops and then she wanted to hit up a couple more and I just sat down and grabbed a coffee and didn't have a computer, didn't have an iPad, didn't have any of the stuff that I normally would have on me to get work done, but I had an article idea and I pulled out Ulysses and it was already saved there from when I had started it on my laptop or iPad and I continued it there, wrote the entire thing out and published it to Medium in that moment. And this is all old hat now. I mean, that's very common for people to do that kind of stuff. But it is pretty remarkable. And I think that it's going to be more and more remarkable as other tools, not just text editors, but audio editors and video editors and all of that come down the line and also are able to be easily done no matter where you are. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that might be partially why, and and keep this in mind, I'm primarily a web developer. So keep that bias in mind. But I I tend to see more and more companies and startups focus on web-first tools as opposed to going to native applications. Now, unless it's something that needs, like, it needs location services and geofencing and such, you know, unless it needs some specific device feature, like Face ID, you know, unless it needs that, it seems like a lot of uh, companies and products are going out web first, and then they start putting on the native apps afterwards. So I, I think it's an interesting shift. But part of that's because like there is no syncing necessary there, right? Because you're interacting with the database itself, and you're just at, like the the web interface is purely that it's an interface with the data itself, and, and you just change how you interact with it. But you don't have local copies of it anywhere. It's primarily in the cloud and you don't ever save it to the device itself which has you know it has benefits and it has downsides it works wonderful if you're on wi-fi or you've got a data connection but if you're flying it's not gonna work real great so (laughs) you know it's it's interesting how some particular applications are starting that way but I, i get what you're saying with ulysses that's kind of a cool it's cool to see things make uh, uh, different time frames that you would normally lose, it starts to allow you to to recapture those. Yeah, absolutely. And aren't aren't a lot of Mac apps and I'm sure iOS apps too really just wrappers for like a Safari or web app these days? Yeah, it's getting to be that way. I mean, Slack is the classic one that's not actually native. Uh, I forget what it is. There's a name for uh, the specific service that they used, but it's basically a web browser just wrapped up. Do you think that's a good? trend or a bad trend i think it's kind of lame to, do, to to create those wrappers i feel like if you're going to try to create a 
a Mac app or like a Windows application of some sort, like do it legit. It's like that's my thinking. Mm. At the same time, from a business stance, I also know that they like if you want to test the viability of an application on the Mac OS, that's a great way to do it. Just to see is this something that your users are actually going to use or not. I I could definitely see testing the waters with it. But I personally would not be comfortable leaving it at that. I would always want to develop some form of a native version of it that can interact with the database, kind of like its own saved copy of it. I would want to do that. But it seems like not every company does. Mm. I'm not really sure why that is. It's kind of an interesting question. That is. I feel like apps are starting to be not a thing anymore (laughs) which is weird yeah because for so long i felt like there was always going to be this constant flood of new apps but it wasn't that long ago that twitter got rid of the twitter for mac app and now there's just they said everyone can just go and use the web interface and it felt like there was this huge push that everything was going to be siloed in a good way because the beauty of all these apps was that they were really custom made and you could customize them to your own heart's extent and do whatever you felt like you needed to do and make it feel like it's your own. And you can't do that when you go to Twitter.com compared to the way that you could when you opened up Twitter.app. And it's kind of sad. I mean, the Twitter one in particular, because that was such a beautiful labor of love and I remember downloading Tweety years and years and years ago and having such a fun time. And it felt like social networking apps were always at the forefront, pushing new different features. And that definitely has not been the case for many years now, which is kind of weird, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) I think it's interesting that you see it as like you can't customize it anymore because I feel like that's a choice made by Twitter in this case. Yeah. Because there's so many of these web-based tools that do let you change it up or they've got a whole structure in place that let you customize it however you would like. And to me, I feel like I'm seeing that more and more. Maybe that's just the pocket of tools and and developers that I work around. But to me, it feels like that's becoming more and more popular. I mean, look at how many apps are integrating dark mode or a night theme of some sort. That's becoming a pretty popular thing and almost expected uh, to some extent. I know it's kind of weird. I open up an app that I just downloaded, and one of the first things I'm looking for or looking through is the settings, and they don't have that. It's immediately a hit. Like, come on. Totally. (laughs) You got to have this. Yeah, I guess, and, and as someone who is primarily on iOS, it's not that big of a deal for me because, of course, the Twitter app on the iPhone is still getting updated. Yes. But still, even in a weird way there, it isn't like it used to be. A lot of the features and different things that came along with having a bunch of different third-party competitors isn't really in existence anymore. And I do think that we're having kind of a weird resurgence of the web where <laughs> the web is back, man. <laughs> it's where all the people are putting their platforming dollars, and I guess that's okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's getting to where... Oh, it's almost like the Chromebook, Yeah, if, if you know anyone that has one. I've got a couple friends that have Chromebooks, and if you're not familiar with those, for the listeners here, is that those are web-only. Like, that's all they have is the Chrome browser, and everything is done through Chrome extensions and websites. Like, that is the entire interface right there. And I, I don't know, I think that's kind of interesting. And maybe this is coming from, you know, I, I build a lot on Discourse, the forum software, and I, I see people change it up quite a bit. 
to to use it for things that, that you really wouldn't think to use it for. I've seen a couple that that really change it up to to almost feel like Craigslist. But the whole software is designed to let you change it up to however you want to use it. Like there's there's tons of ways to extend it. But the problem there is that it's a website. Like that is the primary place that it lives. And, you know, like we were talking about earlier, there is no real offline ability with that. But it's kind of cool. I, I am, of course, a big discourse junkie, but you talk to me very long. You're going to have to have a conversation <laughs> about, about discourse. discourse. <laughs> what got you into discourse in the first place? Oh, that's a good question. I Let's see. This has been two years ago, maybe longer. I uh, I was trying to find a way to do comments on my website, on my personal blog, and I didn't like, you know, there's the standard discuss, D-I-S-Q-U-S, mm-hmm. and I, I wasn't really a fan of that. It had become kind of, a, like, in my space anyway, it seems to be more for trolls than anything, and didn't really care for the way it looks and, and operates. So I was trying to find something different that would function as comments, but work well on a static site, because my personal site is a Jekyll you know, static generated thing. If that doesn't make sense to you, just skip over it. (laughs) But I started trying to find some comments and I ran across discourse that had an embedding ability. So you could set up a discourse site anywhere and then embed topics right on a static site. So it's like, oh, well, this is interesting. I'll give it a shot, see how it goes. And it's an open source project. But whenever I started doing the whole process of embedding it on my site, I out of curiosity wanted to try building a plugin for it so i went and looked through some of the uh the how-tos and some of the major requests that people had for discourse and realized that there wasn't a way to vote on topics that was built in so i built a plugin that allowed you to vote on topics well it turns out that's a pretty popular feature mm. Because there's a large number of people who use Discourse are tech companies or they have apps and services and they need support forums and they want to allow people to vote on features. So it turned out that was a pretty big plugin. And as a result of that plugin, I got a lot of people asking me for the ability to commission me to build their their plugins. And it's kind of snowballed since then, such that I think it's 80% of my business now is Discourse third-party development. So... Yeah, quite a journey, but it's all happened within the last couple of years now. Hmm. That is interesting. And you're happy with it. Yes. <laughs> use it for things I probably shouldn't use it for. I started using it as a notes app, similar to what we were talking about, like with Ulysses or like an Evernote or something. But, you know, this is a classic case of once you start using something and if you really like it and you really drink the Kool-Aid, then... You start looking for ways that it fits, and people say, well, I want something that does this. Oh, well, Discourse will do it. Well, what about if I wanted to do this? Oh, yeah, it'll do that, too. Like, <laughs> it's it's kind of a disease in my head. <laughs> so so how, how are you using it for notes? I don't even understand. All right, I'm going to send you a link, because okay. I think this will make more sense if you see pictures. Because I posted this on the Metaforums. Okay. And there are a number of people that have sent me messages about it privately. but. Essentially, what I did was built a theme for discourse that allows me to treat it as uh, basically a way to categorize and tag notes 
get at those tags and categories, but then also have an inbox of new notes that I've collected. Okay. And I've changed up some of the settings and such on it so that it'll let me input just about anything with no restrictions. Things like uploading files or pictures, and I won't ever hit a limit on uh, a file type and such. Because discourse out of the box, you got to remember it's it's designed to keep people from you know spamming the site until you have gained enough trust that you can start to upload things at higher levels or mention multiple people. Anyway, it has a lot of restrictions that are built in from from day one that you want to eliminate if you're going to use it like this. But I started thinking about it. You know, Discourse does a lot of things that a normal notes app does. Uh, things like getting URLs for notes. Like that's a thing Evernote has been promoting for a long time. APIs for interacting with those particular notes, emailing into it, sharing it. Like these are all things that you can do with Discourse. But Evernote touts all of those. OneNote touts a lot of them. You know, this is something that you can do in one way or another with like Ulysses or Bear. Okay, well, these are all the same feature sets. Hmm. So why can't Discourse do this? So it kind of led me down a bunny trail of creating my own site, mostly just to see if it would work. And then I realized this is really cool. And now I'm a ways down this path. So this is less of a replacement for like a place to take a note really quick and more like a replacement for a note repository, right? Like I see this as an interesting replacement for Evernote or OneNote because I don't even have anything like that anymore after Evernote started kind of biting the bullet. Right. I don't really have anywhere that I can put a bunch of stuff that I want to be searchable later that's in like just a totally garbage form because that was kind of the fun of Evernote for me is that I could write down anything that was it could just be one sentence or it could be 50 unparsed sentences or it could be two chapters of a book you know what it really didn't matter and i could just dump it in an evernote note call it good and come back to it later if i wanted to or never look at it again if i wanted to and so that doesn't really exist for me i have apple notes and i have drafts and i'm pretty meticulous about my drafts so there's not a lot in there that that stays in there unless it's intentionally going somewhere else. And if I tried to search my notes, my Apple notes, God help me. There's yeah. there's no way that I could do that. They're all just totally crazy <laughs> and scattered. But this, I mean, I'm looking at a screenshot and it makes sense. This is this feels it actually looks quite a bit like what I kind of remember my Evernote looking like. Yeah. Are you familiar with what Discourse looks like out of the box? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you so the link I sent you and we can get that in the show notes. If you go to the homepage for that site, that is what it looks like when you first set it up. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not a massive deviation from the standard, but things like I don't care how many times there's a reply to a topic. Right. Like, I, I just don't care because I'm the only one in there, so it doesn't matter. So, you know, those particular pieces just aren't necessary. But you're right. I mean, it's just a list of, in this case, uh, what have I got in here? So the big ones that I've got in here that are fun to talk about are things like checklists or like recipes. So, you know, with all the bread that I love making, I have tons of recipes for bread. Which, by the way, I saw a picture of that bread. You're not messing around. (laughs) That stuff looks really incredible. Yeah, it's intense. It's becoming a problem, I think. (laughs) I still need to make my own bread sometime. I've yet to do it, but it's, it's coming down the pipeline sometime soon. I don't recommend the way I do it as a starter. Okay. No, at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do something much more simple. But I have, 
yeah, I, I keep track of all these recipes and I just like to know, you know, I, I be able to pull them up and then I can use one to help build a new one. Mm-hmm. But I like having a place to store these things. But probably one that's the most interesting as it pertains to, you know, the, the whims at work audience is I keep all of my checklists here now. So like my weekly review, you know, packing lists, if I've if I've got a list for what it takes to release a bookworm episode, like those checklists all live here. And, you know, the ones that are kind of fun to play with are things like the weekly review, because I'll have uh, what have I used the the app called do so the mm-hmm. do app. Yeah, I have reminders in there, uh, just because I need something to pop up on my phone. And whenever that reminder goes off for my weekly review, if you go into the do app and check it off, it will ask you if you want to just mark it done or if you want to open a link, if you've pasted a link into the the title for it. So I've just dropped the link to my weekly review checklist into that do reminder Mm. so that when I check it off, I can just tap the button and it immediately opens up this website with that weekly review right on it. So it's kind of neat just because everything is link driven in discourse. So it's very easy to get little bits and and paste them all over the place so it's easy to get back to what you want. I'm assuming it's very searchable too. Yes, extremely, especially if you get into tagging on top of the the categorizing. But I think maybe the piece that would get you interested in this, if you paste links from one topic in discourse inside another topic in discourse, it will automatically create links on both of them in the footers so that you can get back and forth between topics. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So if I say I've got my weekly review checklist and I have, and I don't have this, but if I have a Friday morning checklist and I paste the link from my weekly review into the Friday morning checklist, it will create a link to the Friday morning checklist automatically on the weekly review topic. That way you can get back and forth between them, which is kind of fun, but it means that if you have tons of notes that you're linking within each other, you can create this massive list of interlinked notes. And that just seems like it would feed your data needs, Drew. That does definitely appeal to me. Now, here's a question, (laughs) and I'm assuming that this is how it works. This falls victim to the problem that we were talking about that web apps have from earlier, which is you have to be online to see all of this, right? Correct. This does not work to access this big archive of notes when you are on an airplane or on a campsite or something like that. Right. But I mean, neither did Evernote, really. Right. I mean, most of those things you had to manually select if you were going to have those synced to your phone or not. And I think Evernote started charging you for it or something, if I can remember correctly. So requiring an Internet connection isn't exactly a major downfall for this. I feel like it's kind of par for the course. That's fair. I had to download Evernote here earlier this week Mm -hmm. because I used to have a massive list of notes in there. I think I had like 16,000 notes in Evernote. Wow. I don't even remember what they all were. But I was trying to, you know, because of this experiment, I've been playing around with building out an importer so that you could export all your Evernote notes and then import it into Discourse. Like I'm playing around with that concept because I, I feel like, you know, this is this is what I do all the time, right? Is I, I find a way to use something and I want everybody else to do it too. So, <laughs> so I'm trying to make it easy for people. But whenever I did that, I didn't realize because I have not been paying attention to Evernote really at all. And I didn't realize that they had started charging for syncing across devices. Is that true? Am I understanding that right? Like they, they, you have to be a premium member in order to get it to sync for more than like what, two devices or something like that. Is that true? 
That's right. Yeah. So th- th- I was remembering that, and I couldn't remember if it was also true about the downloading files. But yeah, you can only have so many devices before it locks you down and says you have to log out of that one and you know log into this one, which is a pretty major bummer. That's lame. <laughs> it is lame. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, I think that this is the problem with some of these major companies, right, is I do not know what it costs to run Evernote, but I'm sure that it's fairly substantial. And to give away basically everything for free for so long has set a bad precedent because now it's super lame when they do something like that. But at the same time, they kind of have to figure out a way to make you subscribe to premium. I thought that there was some features that made sense as premium features, and I don't necessarily know if this one does or not. I I don't think so. I think that's pretty weird. But it's a definite problem for these massive corporations that are trying to figure out how to monetize at the end of the day. <laughs> yes. You know, and I at one point I was an Evernote premium subscriber, and I can't say that I would recommend that today at all. No, me either. And it just doesn't make sense. I have been on the bandwagon for a long time of just telling people, get off of it. <laughs> like, walk away. You'll be all right. <laughs> as a quick aside to this conversation, I had been meaning to ask you about this. And as we are looking at dead services that we no longer really use, I know a while ago you had talked about wanting to use iCloud Drive more than Dropbox and Google Drive. Yes. Are you doing that at all? Or are you still kind of stuck in many, many systems? I am on iCloud Drive. For the most part. Yeah. There are a handful of places where I still use Dropbox and I still use Google Drive. And I still use Box, actually. Uh, and part of that is because of my clients. Like If it wasn't for the fact that I have them coming to me on just about every known file sharing system and then even some home-built systems, like if it wasn't for that, I would probably just migrate entirely over to iCloud. It's just easy (laughs) given the entire Apple structure just because of that. So yes, I've migrated over to the iCloud infrastructure in its entirety. Is there a reason that you don't like Apple Notes since you're kind of going all in on a lot of Apple services? I've never really tried it, to be honest. I am trying to see if I even have it on my phone. I have an add to notes action on my phone, but that's to add it to my uh, newfound discourse notes structure. So I don't even have Apple Notes on my phone right now. Interesting. Is there a reason that you have never really given it a try? I have assumed it is going to end up similar to the world of Evernote or OneNote, and I don't really want to go down that path. That's been my assumption. What does that mean? It's more that they tend to add a lot of features that are really cool, but if I wanted to get out of it, it's extremely difficult. Like If they change it up and then it's difficult for me to work with and I don't like it anymore, for me to get out of it and do something else doesn't seem very easy. And for a lot of people, they would say the same thing about Discourse. So it would be very difficult for a lot of people to get things out of discourse. I don't have that problem because I have the technical skills to put it wherever I want it. So (laughs) that is not an issue that I deal with. But I can't even get at the data. If I understand this right, I can't even get at the data from Apple Notes to do anything with it. So it's just not a thing that I want. Like, I just didn't want to go down that path. That is an interesting question. I mean, there, there might be an Apple Note exporter out there somewhere, but... I sure haven't come across it, and I don't really know exactly how you would do it. And it's definitely not intended for that purpose. So I get that. I use Apple Notes partially because 
it's just so convenient and it's a nice free alternative to the Evernotes and OneNotes that has most of those features, is very easy to use and is incorporated into iCloud Drive. So that that works well for me. But I get why this is a solution that really interests you. Having Discourse as a notes app is very much a web developer solution. Totally. Which I, I love <laughs> quite a bit. But I, I get it. I, I think it I think it makes a lot more sense than it sounds like it does because all of the pitfalls that come with having a notes app that's not run by you are gone. And most of the stuff that you have to deal with, you are already dealing with anyways, like I was saying, with having everything online and right. so on and so forth. And you know, how often are you offline and needing to access your notes to begin with? I feel like that's pretty rare. Are you still taking these notes somewhere else, or are you taking these notes in discourse? I take them in drafts. And yeah, go figure. Yeah. So everything starts in drafts mm-hmm. for me because I've had a couple people mention that discourse isn't as easy to create new notes in because you have to create a title and a opening something in the body of it before it will create that. Yeah. But I don't really deal with that because I've always done that. Like that's not a thing that prevents me from creating notes. You would never not title a note is what you mean? Yes, it drives me nuts when I see untitled, untitled, untitled. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, what are those? So I create everything in drafts and Discourse has a a new topic URL. So it's kind of like the URL schemes that we're used to in so many of the iOS apps. But there's one of them that you can create from drafts now. And I've done that. I just take the title of the draft, drop it into the title of Discourse, take the body of the draft, drop it in the body of Discourse. So I can just create it in drafts, hit that action, hit save on Discourse, and I'm done. So it's it's not really that difficult for me. That makes sense. Yeah, I like it. So you've been doing this for a little bit now, like a week or something? Yeah, I started it. Yeah, yeah it's been about a week ago that I, I spun this thing up and started dumping a bunch of stuff into and I had a little free time on this past Saturday and ended up writing the theme for it and I think it's gonna snowball out of control probably before too long (laughs) so yeah because now I'm looking at importers and exporters and do I want to be able to geotag a note like there's so many of these things but this is the this is the thing like I'm primarily a discourse developer so if there's a feature that I want this tool to have, I can go build it. Like I can I can give this tool the features that I want. Yeah. Whenever I want. Yeah. So that's that's the nice thing about it. It's interesting to hear that one of the things that I use an electronic task manager for that I couldn't imagine doing in an analog sense, you've ported over to this with those travel checklists or weekly reviews or whatnot. Right. Because that is something that definitely makes a lot more sense to do on a computer than it does in a notebook. And you found a way to integrate that into this system instead of having to have a things or an OmniFocus on your phone. Yeah, because there's a checklists plugin for Discourse that lets you check things off in a topic. <laughs> Go figure. So yes, it's interesting that like those particular like templated projects that you would do over and over again, I still want those digital because I will copy paste them or reuse them or, you know, reset them and use them again. It just doesn't seem to make sense to me to keep those in an analog world because you're rewriting it over and over and over again. And that I just don't like the rewriting process that some of the analog bits require. So I design all of my paper systems to eliminate that. 
And when it's impossible to eliminate it entirely, at least impossible as far as I'm aware, I will move it over to these digital systems. And mm. I was using, you know, I've, I used Ulysses sparingly for some longer form writing. I've been moving that over to this discourse instance as well. Mm. So I will probably end up dropping Ulysses over that. And Bear has been slowly uh, decreasing in usage as well as a result of this. So I would imagine that over time, Discourse is going to overtake those for me as well. I definitely see it taking over Bear because it, to me, this has the same, it's a total feature overlap. Right. But to hear that it's taking over Ulysses is kind of surprising because, but I guess I understand it. And I mean, that is kind of a weird thing that so many people have multiple text editors on their screens to begin with. And you can probably get away with using drafts and discourse as opposed to drafts and Ulysses and discourse because you know where it's going once you've started something, huh? Yep. I always know where it's going to land. I've tried for a long time to get down to a single app for that sort of thing. And I've been in this kind of two to three app world for a little bit and it's been driving me nuts. So whenever someone brought up the concept of using discourse as like reference material for the getting things done methodology. Mm -hmm. They brought that concept up. I was like, oh, bingo. This has got to replace the Evernote world that I'm currently trying to work through with bare and text files of sorts. Like this would be perfect for that. Yeah. So thus the experiment started. Well, I like it. I am curious to see where it goes. I cannot personally imagine starting rolling up a discourse note system. <laughs> I try to spend as little time working on the technical details and all of that stuff. I just want to get straight to the action. But it's it's curious to see how you've actually found a pretty cool solution that I think could work for a lot of people who were willing to do a little bit of work on the front end to really keep everything in control. The nice thing about this discourse instance, right, is that they're never going to come out with some dumb feature that you're not going to use, and they're never going to paywall 10 features behind some kind of premium service right you know exactly what you're going to get and it's going to be this note system until you change something yourself and i think that's actually a very good thing for a notes app to have and honestly it's wild that so many of them have not had that over the years yeah that's true i i will point out there is another side of this that we haven't really jumped into and that's cost because mm -hmm. you know th this isn't a free like it is a website you do have hosting right with that in some way or another but at the same time i stop and look at like how much are we paying for bear how much are we paying for like ulysses or setup or something like that and you know you start adding it up and it those get to be pretty high numbers pretty quickly certainly evernote <laughs> you know if you wanted it to sync like uh, whatever an evernote premium subscription is plus all this stuff like it can get expensive pretty quick yeah that's definitely true it's going to be a pit of time I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's for the good. It's for the future good. It's fun. That's the problem. <laughs>